Greetings, church. Welcome again to an online worship service here at Agora Bible Fellowship. Um, this week is a communion week, so if you wish to pause the video at this point and go get uh, some kind of wafer, some kind of cracker, and a juice, a preferably grape, uh, but I don't believe there is a biblical prohibition against apple juice or orange juice, so it's freedom in the spirit, please. Uh, but get a communion element that means something to you and prepare that, and uh, we'll meet you there back in a second. Now that we've done that, we are going to worship together. This is kind of a fun, active song. So would you stand up? Would you stand up here in the room? We've got people in the room. We've got people on stage. And you out there in internet land, stand up. This is a fun song honoring the Lord, our rescuer. The group participation coming right up. Here we go. Ready? He's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound, oh, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord, our rescuer. There is good news for the captive, good news for the shame. There is good news for the one who walked away. There is good news for the doubter, the one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord.
you, Lord.
Let's look to the scripture as we prepare to receive from the Lord at his table. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me say that again. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat. Verse 25. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink and remember Jesus. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you so much for communion and what it represents. I pray that even right now as we've shared this communion together, um, even though it's on video, even though most of the people watching this are in their homes, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bind us through space and time, that we cannot see each other in this moment, and we would know that we belong to you and that we are yours. It's in Jesus' name that we remember. It is Jesus himself that we remember, and we say, amen. Well, hey, church, uh, it's good to see you again. Happy whatever day it is that you're watching this video. Hey, my name is Josh. I have a couple of announcements for you. First of all, if there's any way that we could be praying for you, feel free to text prayer to 97,000. We'd love to pray for you this upcoming week. Couple of things on the weeks to come, just notes for your calendar. We wanna let you know that next week is actually a different week here. So we're gonna be filming our service on Tuesday night next week instead of Thursday night. So no Thursday night next week. Sorry for those of you that depend on it, especially those in the room, but we're moving that to Tuesday night. That's a one week only thing due to some scheduling conflicts and we had no other way around it. So if you're interested, next week, Tuesday night. Our Conejo Valley meal program is coming up on Monday, July 13th. We need volunteers to make some food. You can go online to schedule that. And we also need 10 sack lunches for that. So you can sign up to bring a meal to that uh, program or just do the sack lunch thing. That would be great.
Our ABF summer fun days are up and running and wanted to let you know that our next one is on Saturday, July 18th. That's in about two weeks. We'd love to see you over at Zuma Beach at 11 a.m. in between lifeguard stations 12 and 13. Then also in about two weeks, we have Marriage Essentials coming back. That's on Sunday, July 19th in the evening, and that is going to be via Zoom. So if you want to get in on that Marriage Essentials, we'd love to have you for that. Finally, thank you again for giving and to remind you on the ways that you can do that is online on our app or you can mail in a check. If you're here on campus, you can put your check in the boxes at the back of the sanctuary. And finally, I wanted to uh, show you, uh, we're moving to a video here. Uh, You probably don't know, but our church has been finding really cool ways to help during coronavirus, sending money all over the place. And uh, we sent some money over to Yugo Ministries, our uh, team that goes to Mexico. Uh, We sent money over to Yugo, that organization, to help them. And here is a little video to check out that. Queridos hermanos de la Iglesia Agora, mi nombre es Juvenal Martínez, pastor principal en la Iglesia Semilla de Mostaza, aquí en Ensenada. Eh, como ya les hemos comentado a través de algunos de nuestros hermanos, eh, en los últimos años hemos tenido algunas situaciones inconvenientes en nuestro auditorio. Estamos en una eh, zona muy comprometida y hemos tenido, no sé, unos 10, 15 eh, robos ahí. Ha sido como que algo recurrente. En la última ocasión, bueno, pues nos robaron eh, parte de nuestro equipo de audio eh, con un valor de unos dos mil dólares más menos, lo, lo que sustrajeron en esta ocasión, que se suma a muchas otras con anterioridad. Pero queremos agradecerles muchísimo, de verdad, el donativo que nos, han, que nos han hecho llegar. De verdad, les bendecimos y esperemos que Dios les multiplique en gran, en gran manera, de todo corazón, Muchas gracias, Ministerio Agora. Que Dios les bendiga y les multiplique. Hey, welcome, ABF Online. We're so glad you're with us again, whether it's Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, or for some of you, I know you're watching this four and a half weeks later. We have a little fun tonight, but I want to talk about something that many of you are probably wondering about. We're in one of the most exciting sections of Exodus. We're in chapter 14, so go ahead and turn there, would you? And the title of our message is God Has Your Back. The title of this message is God Has Your Back. We're in part six of this series called Lessons from the Wilderness. And if you remember, we left off in chapter 13, there was a hurried Passover meal The families had packed up, and they're ready to get out of Dodge. But there's a problem. If you look in your notes, and if you don't have those already, you should pause the tape right now. I'd like you to read all of Exodus 14, all 31 verses. Download this off of our website so you can follow with me. But here's what it looks like. Israel has left. They are marching And here's what I see. Let me read it to you. Seemingly, they're pinned in with the Red Sea in front of them, mountains on both sides, and the Egyptians closing in and chasing them. There is no escape. There is only one way out, and it's going to take a miracle. It's an impossible situation. But Israel had God on their side. 
He has their backs. In a word, he's got this. And so I want to ask us, as we listen to God's word tonight, or today, or in the afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, what are the lessons that we can learn when we face seemingly impossible odds? Now, I know you've paused the video and you've already read the text, and so let's get there. Let's look at the decision of Pharaoh. And I'm going to give you two words to kind of remember each main point. Two words. This first one is saddle up, saddle up. And we're going to first of all look at God's plan and promise. So the Lord says to Moses, tell the people to turn back. Turn back. The easiest way would have been to go north, go through Philistia, and not have to cross the Red Seas. But he tells them to turn kind of southeast, and I won't mention all the names there that he has, but essentially by verse 3, he says this, the Pharaoh will think that they are wandering and lost and the wilderness has shut them out, but God says to them, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, there's been all kinds of discussion. Where did they cross the Red Sea? How did that go? Uh, Some people call it the Reed Sea. I'll deal with that a little bit later, Uh, but the bottom line is we know from the previous chapter chapter, there's 600,000 men counted, so there might be upwards to 2 million people. This is a logistics nightmare to try to move that many people down and across and through the Red Sea, through this this territory we know is called the Via Maris. And so if they had gone directly to the Promised Land, they would have been there in two weeks. We know that took them 40 years, right? Eventually, we'll find that out. And so along the way, they would have had to go by these Philistine uh, military outposts. And it says in chapter 13, they would have freaked out. They would have panicked. They said, oh, we can't do this. And so he wants to offset their fears by taking them into the wilderness, but there's something in store for them. So their plan that they're following from God seems kind of counterintuitive. I'm sure they're wondering what's going on because the Egyptians think, we have them right where we want them. They're going to be boxed in because there's no way out. And so because Pharaoh's heart is so hardened and he's so ruthless, he thinks they're confused, they're lost, they don't know what they're doing. He is licking his chops and he's counting the victory. He's got it in the bag, so to speak. And I want to, as I talk through this message, to give you this idea that there are some principles we can learn about our impossible situations. And the first one is caught on this next slide. God always has a plan. He is never going to be cut off guard, and he knows where he's going. And look at these points up there. They're going to put on the slide right now. He uses impossible circumstances for his glory. Look at that. That's what we can trust in, because when we go through our impossible situations, we're wondering, does God know what he's doing? Does he, is he kind of cut off guard by this? Uh, Does he really know what's best for me? And how can he pull this rabbit out of the hat, so to speak? And I'm sure they felt that at the time. But here's what God tells them. Look at the end of verse 4. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And so they did so. So they obeyed. In fact, in Isaiah 45, it says, I am the Lord and there is no other. And so let's look at Pharaoh's pursuit and let's look at his mindset. 
When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. How was it changed? Remember, before they left, it said they plundered the Egyptians. They were given gold and silver and clothing and all kinds of stuff, and they left. And then the, fir and the firstborn had died, right? They wanted to get, get them out of there. And so Pharaoh takes, look at verse 7, 600 chosen chariots and the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. He is bringing in the Green Beret, the Navy SEALs. It's 600 of those chariots. Each of them had three people, so over 1,800 men, plus all the rest of those chariots. And he changed his mind. It says, what did he change his mind about? We had decided to let them go. AKA, what were we thinking? We lost our labor force. And so Pharaoh thinks he's invincible. And so little does he know, God's kind of luring him in when he thinks that the Israelites have lost their mind and they are hemmed in. You see, he thinks that the Israelites are in a dead-end cul-de-sac. And by the way, isn't that what Satan always thinks? He always thinks he's going to win. He thought that when Jesus was dying on the cross, the battle had been won. And little does Satan know that God will turn the tables when Christ dies for our sins and he has victory at the cross. Well, look at his heart. We see it's hardened. And it says, the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and everybody, and they overtake them. Now, Israel leaves with a bit of an attitude. Look at the um, verse eight. It says, Israel left going out defiantly, or in other translations, with boldness. I think they know that God's on their side, obviously. And it's kind of going like, na 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 we're leaving, you can't catch us. Now, they have no idea what's going on because they got the Red Sea in front of them. They're not swimmers. In fact, most of people believe that, other than the Phoenicians, people in that ancient day kind of were nervous about the ocean. And yet, how quickly that attitude of defiance changes to fear because they've forgotten what God's done. Now, how can they forget? What had they just gone through? At home, stop the video, ask your family members, what had they just gone through? People in the audience here got it right, right? They went through 10 plagues. And you would think, God's been faithful through all these things. How can he just leave us to die in the wilderness? That's not gonna happen. And so I wanna challenge you to look at uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Friends, when you're facing an impossible situation, I think there are times where you just forget how good God has been to you because the expediency of the moment causes us to panic. And then we question, does God really gonna come through? Especially if it's something you've prayed about and prayed about and you wonder if it's ever, ever gonna happen. And so we then see point number two, the despair of the people. We go from saddle up to them wanting to give up, to give up. Look at verses 10 through 12, and I'll give you a principle. Israel was focused on the present danger and not the future deliverance. You see, they feared greatly. Their bravado fades. And in fact, we know that what they can see, if you can imagine this, there's a cloud of Egyptian dust and they can just see it coming 
behind them. And they're stuck. They're at the water's edge. They're going, where are we going to go? We can't go back. We can't go left. We can't go right. We're cooked. And in fact, what happens, this dust, anytime you see this kind of an image in, in the Bible, represents those circumstances in life that cause us to have to trust God, but kind of obliterates or obscures our vision. We can't see. I want to call it circumstantial dust. The circumstance of life overwhelm us, and we're wondering, how in the world is God going to solve this one? And it's a matter of how we see things, right? Think about this. Think about this. There were 12 spies who, and later in Numbers, who will go into the promised land. Ten of them see one thing. Two of them see something else. Two of them see a big God. Oh, yeah, and there's some big dudes over here. The other 10 see these huge giants, and they have a little God, and we're not so sure God could handle, and he's been doing stuff for them forever. In fact, he'll be walking with them and carrying them with them for, we'll see, 40 years. Now, I want to illustrate this for us. I hope this works. I'm going to put a slide up here. You're not going to have much time. I want you to count the number of Fs in this slide, don't give your answer, and that's all I need to do. Count the number of Fs. I want to illustrate how God is with us, and sometimes we just don't see him at work. Let's do it. So just count the number of Fs in the paragraph. All right. Final answer. You can't pause this at home for more than 10 seconds. Come on now. Here we go. We're going to vote before I show you the next slide. How many of you count three Fs? Go ahead and raise your hand. I see three hands, and you in the audience, just if you count three, just raise your hand. Nobody counted three? Oh. How many counted four? A couple of you. One. How many counted five Fs? Anybody count five Fs? How many of you counted six Fs? Anybody count six Fs? How many counted seven Fs? Anybody count seven Fs? How many counted eight Fs? All right, those of you who counted eight Fs, I just want to tell you right off the bat, you didn't listen to the instructions. I said only count what's in the paragraph, not the title. Boom. <laughs> now, let's go and see what happened here. You see, when God is at work, next slide, we see the obvious. When times are going great, we see God's at work, right? But when things aren't going so well, we say, where is God? And we see in the next slide, he was always there. He was always there right in front of our very eyes, but we kind of missed him. And isn't that what happens when we face these impossible situations? Fear clouds our perspective and fogs our memory. And so they reach out to God, which is good, but what do they do? In the same breath as reaching out to God, who do they throw under the bus? Moses, and that's the problem of leadership. And so they take out their fear of dying with anger on their leader. And so the next principle is, their focus was on the problem, not the promise. And then they asked these three crazy rhetorical questions in verses 11 and 12. First of all, they say in verse 11, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Can you see him saying that with kind of a snotty voice, kind of a complaining, whining voice? So the question is, hey, why'd you bring us out here to die? Look at the next, see, Egypt is always symbolic of our past, all right? And so our past is the things that hold us back, our regret over sin in our lives. In fact, there's no looking back. In fact, when you look back, things don't go well for you when you look back. Leave your past behind. Leave it behind. And in fact, what I want to suggest, 
We have an example of someone who didn't, who didn't obey God and looked back. Remember who looked back in the scriptures? Who was that? Yeah, Lot's wife. Didn't end well for her, all right? And so they're not thinking correctly. Think about this. Why would God persevere and, and, and preserve them, do all these 10 plagues showing his power over Pharaoh and Egypt only to then let them die in the wilderness. That's a bad ending. It's a bad script, and that's not how it works in the Bible. So the second question is, what have you done bringing us out of Egypt? In other words, why didn't you think this through? Uh, we're out of Egypt, and, and what, what's wrong with this picture? And then the third thing, verse 12, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. We'll just serve the Egyptians, or it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. In other words, hey, what's wrong with being a slave anyway? Are you kidding me? They forgot. They, weren't, they were full-on slaves. They had no life. It was horrible. And they kind of have this idyllic memory of what life in Egypt was like. Not so. In fact, not only do they doubt God, they start to disrespect Moses. And I got to tell you, when you doubt God, you will always look for someone else to blame in your life. When things are not going well spiritually for you, you'll always look for someone else to blame. And so they were in bondage. And Moses is caught in the crosshairs between what he knows God is going to do for them, and then putting off these people who are going nuts right now, because remember, the Egyptians are still coming, and that dust ball is getting bigger and bigger. And so write this down or think about this. They are in the in-between place where the familiarity of the past lies behind, but the security of what lies ahead has not been realized. Do you catch that? They're in that in-between place where the familiarity of the past lies behind, but the security of what lies ahead has not been realized. Friends, isn't that what it's like to live on planet Earth in this day and age? Our security, our future is in heaven, but right now we're going through it. And this has maybe been the longest trial of your Christian life these last several months, where your very life might be in danger, where people you love may die, where the freedoms that you had experienced and taken for granted have been taken away. And if you're like a lot of people, you're wondering, what is God doing? We're not unlike the Israelites, right? We see the cloud of circumstances coming upon us, and we wonder, can God pull this off? And so the declaration of Moses happens next. Look up, he says in verses 13 and 14. Look up. And now, I know in your notes I've got four points here, and I, this is so unbelievable. You've got to get these four things. Because he deals with them in his instructions to kind of bolster the crowd in four ways. First, he deals with them emotionally. He says, fear not. Fill it in your notes. Fear not. And Moses said to them, what? Fear not. Now, you've heard this little anecdote that says there's 365 times in the Bible it says fear not, fret not, worry not. No, not no. It's kind of apocryphal. It, it's kind of check it out on Snopes. Not true. You say, really? But I heard. So, yeah, it's not true. I actually did a study 
in March. I mean, what else am I doing? I'm home, hours on end. And I looked up every passage that said, fear not, fret not, worry not. Now, there's still a lot, 201 times in the Bible. In 47, 46 different books of the Bible, it tells us not to worry. And so the bottom line, it's still a big deal. Like, don't worry. But when you're afraid, you just say, stop it. Stop worrying. Don't be afraid. That kind of doesn't like, okay, what do I do next? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die here. Like, it looks like they're like, it's coming. So what do we do? Let's just agree when he says that. That's not all that comforting, right? It's, it's easier said than done. Then physically, he says, do nothing. Do nothing. In other words, stand firm. Now, what would your tendency be to do if you're in trouble? What are you going to do? I'm going to book it. I'm going to get out of here. The problem is you would all die because you cannot swim across the Red Sea. You can't climb up those mountains, and you're not going to go backwards towards the territory. Yeah, I'll bring it on. You know, bottom line is, have any of you ever run into a bear, right? They tell you, what do you do? You do I tell you what you don't do. Not that I've ever experienced this. You don't run, you don't run uphill because that bear is going to outtake you. In fact, you're supposed to stand there. You're supposed to get large, yeah, large. I don't know. I hope that works because I hope, and then they say like bang, pans together, uh, you know, but the bottom line, our natural physical tendency wouldn't be to just stand there and do nothing. We would do the opposite. In fact, we think we have to help God out. But he's saying, be more like Buckingham Palace than Marines that are marching, all right? So the principle is sometimes we want to help God out. He said, you don't have to do anything. Just stand still. Thirdly, you go, okay, well, that's Seems a little counterintuitive. Look at the third thing he says. Then spiritually he says, watch this, verse 13, and see the salvation of the Lord which we will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. They've been in captivity for how many years? It said 430 years. And it says that their rescue is imminent. The salvation of the Lord is at hand. And so the bottom line is, um, it's a picture of salvation. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Now, Abraham Lincoln might have signed the Emancipa Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, but this emancipation was done in 1450 B.C. And it's true. They were never to see those Egyptians again. They're in ruins. And by the way, this is symbolic of what God does for us, right? We're all slaves to sin, and he saves us, and we don't have to do anything about it because he, he set us free. And then this is the one that I think is, is hilarious. And said, verse 14, practically he says, just be quiet, just be quiet. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. <laughs> now, I'd be screaming especially as they're getting closer, I'd be literally wetting my proverbial pants, right? Because is God going to come through? Is he going to come through? And so if we summarize it, he's saying, hey, don't sweat it. Don't be afraid. Just stay right where you are. Watch what God's going to do. And in the best vernacular of Chris Farley, shut your yapper, right? Just be quiet. Thank you, Aaron. Sorry, you millennials who don't know who Chris Farley is. I'm sorry. All right. The decree of God. Next section says, move out, verses 15 to 18. And so the Lord said to Moses, 
Why do you cry to me? Now, so Moses is doing all his thing, doing rallying the troops, and yet behind the scenes, something happened between verses 14 and 15 because Moses goes back into the war tent and he's going, what are we gonna do? Yeah, and he's having, a, he's, Aaron, what's gonna happen? Miriam, what's gonna happen? And he comes out and he's crying. So you don't see this, he's crying out to the Lord. And God doesn't show much sensitivity to old Moses, does he? He just says, tell the people to just go forward. So lift up your staff and stretch out your hand, and the sea's gonna divide, and you're gonna walk on dry ground, and once again, I'm gonna get glory over Pharaoh. In fact, I'm gonna, he says it twice. In fact, it's third time in the text, he's I'm gonna get glory over Pharaoh. So for a brief moment, our leader, Moses, has a crisis of faith, and he cries out to God, but I gotta tell you, there are times in scripture where we gotta quit praying, and we gotta move. It, we're done with praying, let's move on, I've promised it, it's good. So he raises his staff, and here's what happens. Look at next section, the destruction of the Egyptian army. Time's up, verses 19 through 31. And that's the whole rest of the text. And so we see the protecting of Israel, verses 19 to 20. And here's something that's so cool. When they're marching and Israel's being trailed by the Egyptians, remember the cloud by day and the fire by night. It's pretty cool because that cloud has been in front of them and it does two things. It's, it's the GPS, God's protection system, GPS. It's also sunscreen. They had no sunscreen, so they needed the cloud to kind of keep them from overheating. So through 40 years, that cloud's gonna be their sunscreen as well. But the cloud repositions and when they're right upon them, he repositions his surveillance and the cloud moves between Israel and the Egyptians. So now the Egyptians can't see what's in front of them. It's a really cloudy day. And so that creates some separation between the two. And so as the, as the ocean opens, the Israelites are gonna be able to try to get out of Dodge, literally, right? And so what I think happens, he then gives them the pillar, the fire by night and they follow that pillar of fire by night and allows them to go through the ocean in the middle of the night to get to the other side while the Egyptians are stuck in this cloud and they're, they're camped for the night. And so this GPS system was known as the Shekinah glory. Now, I'm laughing because my wife says, we have these, um, we have these um, really bright lights in our, in our bedroom. And they're on a dimmer, and so it can be really mood lighting. Or it can be like, Shekinah glory, and it's bright. And of course, I forget to turn them down. And so I, she's sound asleep, and I turn them on, and I, boom, and there's all this light. But spiritually speaking, the Shekinah glory, if you want to check it out, check it out in 1 Kings 8 and Isaiah 6, and it's awesome. But the bottom line is Pharaoh was trusting in his chariots and horses. In fact, Psalm 27 says that but we trust in the Lord. He protected Israel. Now we see the party in the Red Sea, all that happens. Now I'm not gonna get into the scientific stuff, but we know that it was the Red Sea. It wasn't the Reed Sea. It wasn't 18 inches deep. We have more problems when you're a skeptic and doesn't, don't believe that God could have done the parting of the Red Sea because quite frankly, then you have a bigger problem. How in the world if it's the Reed Sea, and that's two to 18 inches, does an entire Egyptian army drown in a foot of water? 
that's a tough one, right? And so the bottom line today, we have done the math to get about 2 million people across there, it would take an opening about a half a mile wide. That's like running the Boston Marathon. They have to have a big starting place, and now you imagine moving 2 million people, all right? And so they cross at night, get up to the other side. Now, I gotta ask you, you think, was, was everybody equally uh, faithful in this? Were they equally kind of like, I'm okay with this? I think some people walked through that, and I, I just would love to have been there. You have this wall of water, and I want to move. Can I move right now? Can I move? I'm going to move. And so I got to tell you, this would be so much fun, right? It'd be so much fun. If you're 12 years old, and you're walking through on this dry ground, which is like, that's unbelievable. How many of you want to like reach in, into the, the water, and just see what's in there? Just put your arm through. Come on, every kid's dreamed of that, right? And parents are, don't, don't, get your hand out of there. And they're walking. And so I think some people, when they walk through things where it takes God to do a miracle, they go, oh, wow, this is awesome. If they're surfers, they're going, dude, look at that. Oh, would I love to surf, right? And they think of how awesome God is. But I think there's other people who go through difficult times in life, and you're like, is God going to come through? And I think people went through just like this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Please, 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 just get me there, right? And they're dragged along. But what did they do? They walked. They walked by faith. And isn't that what the essence of the Christian life is? It can be tough. It can be horrible. It can be, how is God going to pull this off? We take one step at a time, and we follow him, and we trust him. You see, it's not the quality of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. And so we see the perishing of the Egyptians in verses 23 to 29. And as I need to land this plane this morning, literally, for those of you in our first class seating here. The Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, and they all went in. And the Egyptian forces, it threw the Egyptians into a panic, verse 24. And in fact, that dry land, by the time they get into it, is now muddy land as the water seeps back up, and it clogs their chariot wheels, and the fog lifts, and they look up, and they're in the middle of the ocean, and Israel's on the other side, and they're thinking, we gotta make a run for it, and they start to go, and what happens? The Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand again, and it says very calmly in verse 27, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it, and the waters, verse 28, returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all, of Pharaoh and all who followed him into the sea, not one of them had remained. So they try to follow him, and they all die. Next chapter, the Song of Moses describes, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Catastrophic failure. 
And so we wrap up by seeing the preservation by God. The people did walk on dry ground. The Lord saved Israel in verse 30. In verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, and this is the result. Don't miss this. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed and put their trust in the Lord and his servant Moses. Two things. They feared, like, don't mess with God, man. And they put their trust in him. And now no longer is Moses thrown under the bus. And they trust that God has used Moses to lead them because he's going to have to lead them now for 40 years. They don't know that yet. Upcoming attraction. So what are the declarations for us, right? A couple things. Number one, God is our salvation. He drew us out of our Egypt of sin and into his salvation. That's our promised land. What we're doing here is temporary, but we have an eternity that's secure because God is our salvation. Number two, God is trustworthy. Are we willing to trust him in in this all-sufficient God? Are we? He can handle the loss of your job. He can deal with financial crisis. He can give you endurance to deal with a tough marriage. He can bring that prodigal son or daughter home. He can see you through your chemo that you're taking right now for your cancer. He can help you overcome the anxiety that you're experiencing with an uncertain future. He can help you forgive yourself for your past sin and regret. He's trustworthy. Do you believe that? And then thirdly, God's our way maker. He is in the business of making a way when there is no way. He is the hero of the story because as Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so as we summarize this tonight, the bottom line is what we think is a disaster, he's gonna turn into deliverance and he does for Israel. He took the valley and he turned it into victory and he took the impossible and he made it possible because he uses impossible circumstances for his glory. I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know I have a God who does the impossible. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? As you listen to this music, I want you to be still. I want you to hear God's voice tonight. I threw a lot at you. And I want you to think, God, I need you. And I want you to take the palm of your hand like we've done so many times in the past. I want you to put your hand out right now, all over, whether you're in the room or you're watching this right now. It's just you and God. And you say, God, the thing that's in the palm of my hand represents the thing I'm carrying. It seems impossible for me to overcome this this regret, this anxiety, this worry, this fear, this disappointment, this anger, this bitterness, this revenge I want to take, this jealousy that pervades my soul. It goes on and on and on. Take it. Or maybe there's a situation that you're wondering, how will this ever resolve? There were about two and a half million people who understand exactly what you felt and what you feel. Because in the end, 
we're stuck and that we have to move. And so tonight and today or tomorrow or whenever you hear this, would you just give this thing to God right now? Oh Lord, would you take it? Take it off our back because we know you have our back. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me for change to come knowing the battles won for you have never failed me yet. your promise still stands great is your
So friends, we're so glad that you listen with us today. God's got your back. His faithfulness never ends. And so we have to trust in his promises. Amen. Hope you have a great week. God bless. <laughs>